Hey everybody, this is the Summit Realty Group Podcast. I'm Blake Schreckeis, joined and by... I'm Nick Williams. There we go. We're never going to get that down good. No, we need to just practice off <laughs> a little bit. So, um, today is a little fun time for us, which we like to do pretty much every time, but talking about dip netting in Alaska, which I know we've touched on a few times in a grander topic. Sam and the way of life in Alaska. Yes, yes. So, Nick just came back from a dip netting trip, so explain what that is first. Yeah, so there's different ways of doing it, but um, so when people think of salmon fishing, they think of a guy by themselves, ankle deep in water, hip weights, in the background you see some snow-capped mountains and you're in a rolling hills of Montana, and guess what, they don't have salmon. So what we do here is nothing at all related to fishing. This is man versus beast. This is adrenaline versus rage and all we do is we wrestle fish out of the water using these huge hula hoops that have some confetti strings tied to them so uh, we're gonna get in detail about what kind of equipment you need what it looks like what you're doing but an essential uh, summary of this entire episode is you're scooping fish out of the water yes so you can fish like you casting can. for for salmon just but to be clear what, but, but 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 you can also drive a moped <laughs> Yes. Why, why, why would you only go 13 <laughs> miles an hour when you go 150 miles per I'll hour? give you my argument for that is dip netting is fun in the way that work is fun. Um, where it's like you feel good after you've done it. Yeah. Cast fishing for me is like just legitimately fun fun. So I think it's I more I think fun. it's relaxing. I think it's more relaxing and I agree. Yeah. It depends okay. on how many fish you're bringing in. Go out, <laughs> go fishing, whether you catch fish or not. I feel more relaxed after fishing. Um but fun, I don't know. Yeah. Are you, a, a, do you like fishing at all? I'm getting into fishing. That's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. just like the last two years started buying some equipment, going out, and actually like slowing down. Well, what My I know, entire life has been go, go, go. It's been jumping out of airplanes. It's ATVs. It's dirt bikes, motorcycles. And now I'm like, wait, wait. I've been standing in the stream for two hours. And I've got nothing. I think people are a little bit surprised by that. While there is like big, for me, big... Uh, excitement, of course, when you get something on the line and you're reeling it in, like 99% of the time, it's more meditative than anything. I think so. And that's yeah. what nature in general is for me. I mean, whether yeah. I'm sitting on a hill glassing for a moose or I'm, I'm waiting for a fish to bite, um, mm-hmm. it's it's the closest I've been to God ever. Hmm. So, um, so dip netting, going back. Uh, now, there's you got the southern people. I let all the people that podcast down, down in Anchorage talk about their version of uh dip netting yeah but here in the interior we all go to chitna and chitna is uh, on the copper river it's right in the wrangle elias national park probably argumentatively the most beautiful national park i've ever been to um you do have a little bit of awe. you have fourteen thousand plus foot peaks you have beautiful rolling hills i've only been to the river you've only i've still, only dipped the canyon itself <laughs> oh it's though, pretty is beautiful right the, let's talk about the water a little bit too so the water's not that pretty it's really brown no, it's disgustingly and- gray yeah it's, <laughs> it's all silt coming off the glaciers yeah so it's super dangerous and i know i feel like i've said this on the podcast before but it bears repeating that once you go under even with um 
a life jacket. I, I'm sure a life jacket will help. Mm. Uh, that silt fills up every crack and crevice of any clothing you're wearing. If you're in waders, especially, you get filled with water and silt. Um, generally, you're not coming back up and you're not getting found. I'll put it this way. When we catch the fish, we fillet them right there on the beach. Mm-hmm. We take the carcasses and we throw them right back in the water so that the, the, the life cycle of nature can continue. Yeah. And I don't throw them out in the middle of the river. Mm-hmm. I'm tossing them a foot into the river. Mm-hmm. And between the current and the silt, those things are probably buried within a minute. Yeah. We, we had one carcass that kind of washed back up on shore. Yeah. And that was a salmon, and that was because we threw it into an eddy. Uh, eddy is where the water is less, there's less of a current. Yeah, back And spins. so, essentially, uh, yeah, we joke about it. And when I say we, everybody I've ever went with, uh, and I've gone with people that are military, and I've gone with people that are civilians, and I've gone with people that are fishermen, and people that are just hobbyists. Mm-hmm. And everybody jokes, but at the same time, it's not a joke that yeah. once you go in, you're dead. And every, and we're not joking about this. Like yeah. every year, somebody does die out there. Yeah, so it's it's a legit it's a threat. legit concern, and it's it's an extreme sport. Even though yeah, you know we're we're talking about fishing here, um, and we do it's it. hard work. It's, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. So you you've got these big nets. So the leverages are the biggest part. You can do it a few different ways. Nick has gone off boats every time. I've gone on boats every time. Okay. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about. There's three different ways. One, you can ATV in and do it from the shore. Two, you can charter a boat, which is what Blake's going to talk about, and, and do it from the shore. And then I'm going to primarily talk about how you do it from a boat and the strategy and tactics that are a little bit different for that. Yeah. So, uh, okay, I'll do canyon first. Yes, let's do canyon. So I've never four, four-wheeled in in that specific area because... Everything I've heard is it's a wild trail that people should not be like people Super narrow. their four wheelers off. Yeah. yeah, it's very very steep. And I got a history lesson for you. Though. So mm-hmm. so the trail you take in for your ATVs um, used to be a road. Used to be a railroad. Oh, I didn't know that. But here's a fun fact: is um, back in the days where the Kennecott Mine was at its peak, um, which is the mine that's in that area, um, that railroad used to cross over the Copper Canyon. The Copper River Canyon. Mm. And it was more cost beneficial for the corporation to rebuild that wooden bridge every single year mm. than to make a permanent structure because when the ice breaks out, mm. uh, what we call breakup, right? Just when they, it down. They, it tears down that bridge every single year. Mm. So every single spring, they would come and build this man made bridge across. It's crazy. And then they would operate during the summer, shut down in the winter. It's, it's a really cr- – the history of Alaska is so fascinating. Yeah, there's a ton of crazy stuff. So I've never done that, so I can't speak to that. So you people are literally, like, repelling not, – not literally. No, they are literally – no, literally <laughs> repelling. They're, they're repelling down to their spot where they're fishing. And then yeah. they have to – and it's not repelling, like, off the side of a building, but it's a good 45-plus degree it's angle. Steep. It's it's pretty steep. You're not walking down it without a rope. People losing four-wheelers all the time. They roll them, and, you know, they themselves roll in as well, which is even worse. People lose that canyon, yeah. that, uh, that canyon is dangerous. So what I have done, I've only dip netted. Gosh, it's only, it's only been twice. I guess it's been twice. Yeah, I've only dip netted twice. Once like ten years ago, once last year. So uh, we are no means like the masters of this or anything. No, um, but we're average Joe that will tell you what it's like for you to go out. And yeah, do, you know, so, I can talk to any professional wrestler that's going to tell me how they do. But yeah, know, what does the average person do for self defense? Yeah, I, I. It sounds like to me boating's the best way, but this would be the second best way in my opinion. Is we charter a boat. They take us out, and again, it's a pretty steep canyon on both sides. They find they have these little rock outcroppings, basically. It's just bare rock, very little foliage of any sort. They drop you on the rocks. They point 
and they're, it's usually in eddies. So yep. eddies are where and the current goes backwards and kind of circles around. These fish skip up those eddies because it's a lot easier to swim upstream. That's where they take their breaks. So they yeah. don't go up the middle of the river where the currents are strongest. They go up the sides. Yes. And then because they're, you got to keep in mind, the salmon are coming from the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. So way up, uh, they got like a multi-month law, and they stop eating as soon as they hit fresh waters. Uh, we'll go into salmon some more. They're amazing creatures. They're Wild. hideously ugly, but um, <laughs> amazing creatures. Well, once they get a little further up. But once <laughs> they get up, um, you know, they, they do some crazy stuff. And so what they do is they basically sit in these eddies and rest. And mm-hmm. so when Blake is sitting there with his big net and he feels something hit his net, mm-hmm. he's pulling out that salmon and... Yep. Yep. So you pull you pull the salmon up. You just pull the net straight back. So if you can imagine, it's kind of trapping them in there. If they bump that net, they're really fast. They know what's happening. They'll back swim. So you can't just like wait on it. So you feel a bump. You pull it in. Sometimes a current bumps you. You pull it in. So anyway, it's it's a lot of leverage because you have a really long pole. In this case, it's Let's maybe. Let's talk about these things. Yeah. So so there's different types. You have metal ones that are five foot hoops, that are about twelve to twenty feet long. Yeah, yeah. So that is for a different area. So we had maybe a three foot diameter. Hoop. Those are the ones you're supposed to use from the rocks. And then on the boat, you actually want a more square three oh, foot hoop. Okay, yeah. So we had a circle one, and again, maybe eight foot pole. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. I, I believe the ones I was using was metal, and the only downside to that is they're cold. And even in the summer in Alaska, they're not as strong. The, 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 the fiberglass, fiberglass ones are in my opinion, better. They get a little bit more flex, so if you're not pulling straight up, if you're kind of leveraging them, yeah. they bend a lot. Um, but we have one break. Yeah. I have a metal one, too, um, a metal square one uh, with a telescopic oh. attached on it. It was really cool. I bought it this year, and, of course, I broke it like <laughs> the last day we're out there. So now I'm stuck with a nine-footer. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't I've, I've only ripped nets. I haven't broke a pole no, or anything. I'm still but pole. King, yeah. King tried to get in on me on an eddy. <laughs> I tried to pull it up, and that 60-pound fish. Yeah, so, so we're using usually catching copper river reds or I think they're called cohos as well is that you a have red? cohos you have uh, which are the reds um, yeah. you got some silvers and pinks that go up there but they're so rare and they're later on in the season and they're just they're the anomalies yeah and then your kings are your second one so you're really going for copper river reds which if you go to Seattle in the fish market like that's the reason why we have to clip them if you don't know that oh okay the reason you have to clip the tails is so that people don't come up here get their fill take them down to seattle and sell them at the market oh i figured yeah. it was something like that yeah. yeah so we do so to explain that you clip the ends of their is it the dorsal fin the, the back fin you clip the ends of them off once you catch them and bring them in you're supposed um, to do it before you hit the shore so you can do it on the boat uh whatever but yeah so if you're on the shore when you reel them in you're clipping them then you string them put them back in the water basically exactly and, and you store them there yep yep so that's the basic idea the red are what you're mostly going to get. The copper reds, in my opinion, and everything else I've heard are the best salmon you will ever eat. They're primarily what I eat, so I am biased. I love them. I, there's a reason I do this, which is to feed my family. And, yeah. And then I well, love the people, copper reds. But the Kenai Silvers are the other ones that a lot of people love, and I haven't had as many that I Well, like. there's more of a taste, and if you if you know fish, you know this already, but like white fish is a much more, it's like what you would have in a fish stick. It's a yeah. I, not they as all flavorful. kind of taste the same. Yeah, they're they not just as... taste kind of fishy. It's more of a texture thing than a taste thing. Yeah, and I like white fish. I do too. Um, I, I think great. I like white fish better than salmon, but salmon has a more flavor. I would say, like a, I don't know how you, what you would call the flavor, but it's like, you know, when you taste salmon, it's uh, obviously it's red it's meat. It's more meatier um, of red. a fish. It's a meaty fish. Yeah, so the, the reds, they can obviously vary in size by quite a bit. You're usually getting them 10 pounds or less. Like, it's not like, they're not big monsters. The kings... However, like they go up to 40, 60, pounds. 60 yeah, pounds, 40 to 60 pounds every single time. They're huge. They look like 
I have yet to monsters. catch a king. And la this last year that I went, um, 2022, I was like, oh, man. And I was talking to my buddies who are out there. I was like, well, how much bigger are the kings? Because I hadn't even seen one. Mm -hmm. And they're like, ah, it's a little bit bigger, maybe twice the size or whatever. And then I get on the shore and I see this 55-pound monster. I'm like, that is not, that is five times as big as the biggest thing we caught. It was, and just so everybody knows, sadly, you're only allowed to catch one per household. So if you and your wife go fishing, that's one for the two of you. Yeah, um, we should talk about, this is a subsistence, subsistence, I always get it wrong. Subsistence. Yeah, subsistence thing. Do so you have to be a uh, Alaska resident? Correct, for at least one year. So it's not even like you come up here and buy a house, now you can do no, it. You yeah. have to own that, that driver's license, that property for at least a full calendar year. Yeah, you gotta live in the state for a full year. Um, it doesn't have to be January to January. If you came in, whatever, July, it's the 12 months from there. Um, and that is for any hunting and fishing. They go off of that 12-month cycle there. So, but yeah, so once you're in, then you're considered resident after a year. You can do this. I think this year it was 35 fish for household and then 10 additional 25 fish. plus 10 plus 10 plus Only 10 25. plus 10 plus 10. So 25 for you as an individual. If you have a wife, you can do 35. No, that's what it was last year. You have a child, it's 45. You have two children, it's 55. It keeps yeah. going up from there. So, yeah, so to give you an idea of how again, much we're fish. basing all of this off of you feeding your family. This is not like that trophy hunt. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't lower 48 fishing where you put that bass on your shelf. No, you can't. Yeah. I'm sure somebody will take that king and mount it for you. I don't know who will because that's not the what I'm Fish mounts are so stupid. That's not the fish up there. That's not a fish, no. It's it's a replica of the fish, but there's I guess there's not the, if you caught like the coolest looking one and you wanted to exemplify that, I guess, they're just not that good looking. I don't think so. You know, I take that back. If I caught a freaking awesome marlin or any marlin at mm. all, I'd have that on my wall. Well, <laughs> I'd have I a wooden need, version or whatever find it is. Out a way <laughs> to do like a European fish mount. I just want like the fish skeletal system. Oh, that'd be cool. I think like a Euro mount for a fish and that way it can actually be the fish, but like the amount of work of like gluing those. Uh, <laughs> well, they have to disintegrate the fish. Aren't they like floating in some cases? Are they, is it all connected? You know how they, I don't know. I don't know if they're like, uh, well, we like the we, we got to play a taxidermist in town. We should bring one in one day. Yeah, it'd be cool to reconstruct it like they do a, uh, you know, old dinosaur. If you're a taxidermist listening to this podcast located in Fairbanks, Alaska, give me a call. You can Google me or Blake, and we yeah. will definitely bring you on here to talk to us how you do things. Well, we should have brought Rena in. She is our transaction coordinator, and she's native, and native Alaskans, I always say that wrong way. Anyways, you know what I mean. Um, they have even more uh, abilities with the dip netting. They can do like fish wheels. Fish wheels are amazing. They have these goliath structures that they park in a river, basically winch off, mm -hmm. and uh, then you just let the current spin the wheel, and the wheel scoops fish out of the water and puts it in a basket, and you come by once a day and you empty a basket. Yeah, you can get, I don't know if their limits are higher or anything. I don't a know what ends an hour. Hundreds. Okay. They can get hundreds uh, of fish. I would think with a fish wheel, because it's, so yeah, we, okay, let me finish how we go. We go off the rocks. They come by every four hours during... Blake got distracted. Yeah. What? I know. They come by every four hours of the boat to see if you're done. And then they leave you, like, usually, like, five or six at night. They they will stop through the night, obviously. Um, so both times I've gone, I've very sillily, sillily um, gone at, like, two in the afternoon. So you just don't have enough time by six you to get it all done. You also look at when the fish run. Yes. Early in the morning, late at night. It's just like animal. Like, the, the deer move at midday... Fish are kind of the opposite, right? They like that that shadowy time. I don't know what they do at night because I sleep. Yeah. But every time I've gone, we've caught the most fish per hour mm -hmm. between the hours of 7 p.m. and midnight. Yeah, I'd be curious. Um, so we this last year I went, we were hauling. We were hauling it in. We got 210 fish between the three of us, or 225, over 200 fish, and we had thrown back at least 60 fish. So close to 300 fish we'd actually caught. 
um, and that was in the span of about six six hours. Mm-hmm. So that was the best time I'd ever had. The time before, I did not limit out. So I, I personally got took home 65 salmon. After it was filleted, we figured around 200 to 250 pounds of just meat. Mm-hmm. So it was like a ton, a ton of meat, which is really great. So they come by every four hours. We had to sleep on the rocks both times. It really sucks. It was not raining, but Alaska is always cold. Like when it's like it's when dark. we were down there, like <laughs> it, it was so beautiful, majestic. But it yeah. was it was like sixty degrees, which is pretty warm. That's here. great. Yeah. But there was a little bit of a breeze. It was very misty, very foggy. Yeah. Uh, and between the seagulls and the bald eagles flying around, it was just it was out of this world. It was, it was something different. But yeah, I could say I was there for four three days, and I was not warm except for when I was in my sleeping bag. <laughs> Or yeah. in front of the fire. So we didn't bring any sleep bags. Neither, neither time have I ever brought a sleeping bag. I um, have my clothes. I have literally a blue tarp that I pull over myself. I'm not saying you should do these things. Yeah, um, well, we're but... giving you the budget version, <laughs> the budget DIY version, and I'll so, go into the luxury version. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we were on – because you're going out there in a boat. So you could pack a tent and things, there's, but there's no room. So you're looking for, like, a flat spot on a rock. Um, and so just so you know, like Blake is about six foot three. He's about two hundred and forty pounds. He's a, he's a lot of man. Okay? Stretching that out a little bit. Um, he he's standing on a boulder that's probably twice his size, but as far as actual foot space, he probably has about four square feet. Okay. Yeah. So he's working on four square feet, hanging with this. 14-foot net into the water with a current that will rip him off this rock. Yeah. Hopefully he was smart enough about tying himself off because he hasn't mentioned that yet. That is rule number one. If you're going from the rocks, you tie yourself off. Yes, we that 100% you... tied off. We were in a nice spot in particular that if we'd fallen into the eddy that we had, I think it would have been fine because it was about 10 and in... No, it was more than that. It was about... It would have been two foot deep. So you probably would have been okay in that particular case. But either way, you tie off. You don't know because you're looking down in it and the water's so silty that you can't see more than an inch. Bumping with the net, though. So you know how deep it is there, but but right next to it can be a 10 foot hole. Yeah, exactly. So we were still tied off. 100% of the time we were tied off, except when I was sleeping. Um, There was enough space. It was more than four square foot, but it was not much. Um, where you're, yeah, you're doing that. So we took my Stephen King novella and turned it into Dr. Seuss. (laughs) So where you're standing though, you are like putting, putting your net way out and stuff. So again, the leverages are the biggest part because you're not dipping the net right under you where you'd have the best leverage. You're dipping it out six or eight feet away from yourself and a current is pulling and again, fish are hitting and you're having to drag the thing in. It's exhausting. It's a shoulder workout. Yeah. It's it's really tiring. Yeah. And we had one guy, so two of us were dipping. The other guy was clipping fins and stringing them. And I thought he had the easy job. He was the older guy. And I was like, that's the easy job, you know. And then, But he wanted to do it a little bit. I was like, yeah, for sure. So we swapped off. And then even that job's hard because you're bent over the whole time. My lower back was, like, getting given out. I was like, Jesus, this kind of sucks. Because we were, like, again, two or three fish in at a time. This is not every time that you're getting a run. It just kind of depends. But that's basically it. You get back on the boat um, at this particular place. They have people that will fillet for you for pretty darn cheap. So that's what I did this time. Um, but... Yeah, and I didn't. It was a one. It was a, like a turn and burn thing. We yeah. drove out through the so night. Got to stock the freezer and go. Yeah, yeah. So we were within forty-eight hours driving down, and that that last year they had closed the road, so it was an extra three hours each way. It was it really sucked. Um, it was, there was a little bit of construction. Yeah, so it was like eight much. eight hours each way yeah. to get down there about last year. Six and a half this year. Yeah. So the other version is the ATV one, which is pretty similar. The only difference is how you get to the rocks that yes. Blake ended up on. Everything else is the same except for instead of paying this guy on a boat to drop you off. It's like 200 bucks a person, by the you're way. You're taking an ATV mm-hmm. to where you're going to rappel down to your rock. What we did is um, completely different, but the same. 
Um, so what we did is uh, we take a boat, a uh, little, and we saw everything. Oh my god, I gotta talk about this. You see everything from like some pretty big legit boats down there mm. to John boats, little fishing boats, mm-hmm. to I swear to God, this was a bathtub with an outboard motor. On it. <laughs> like this thing had, the claw had three down. people on it. Um, when they when they basically were drifting, which I'll get into what the tactics of all this, but like I felt like this thing was going to capsize every single time. They were out there for like eight hours, mm. and I'm just like waiting for three <laughs> humans' lives to quickly come to an end. It was it was insane. Um, but they they wound up going back upstream and getting out of there. So as long as they got out safe, I think they were all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so everything from a bathtub to yachts yeah so this canyon is huge but there's some spots that are really deep and spots that aren't that deep you do want a v board or a flat bottom boat something like that some you're going to ding it up on some rocks um but man putting it in just the way that these braided rivers are here in alaska like putting the boat in the river is probably one of the hardest most time consuming things um mm-hmm. you have the current pushing you down but you have to go up around some of these um they're almost like islands but they're sandbars mm. gravel bars yeah um and so and and going in and out is like one of the most horrifying things because you're going like 50 miles per hour on a boat oh. skipping over top of these waters and then you see logs going right past you yeah like your depth uh sonar thingy is literally reading that like you have 20 feet you have 40 feet you have one foot like you just skimmed over a gravel bar and if the river's high you don't see it yeah and these rivers change mm-hmm. constantly the 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 altitude or the, the depth of the river or mm-hmm. the, you know the, the height of it yeah. um changed 10 feet while we were there mm-hmm. between yeah. the high water mark and the low water mark so like yeah. and again you can't see anything so i think there's i've not I've, i don't drive boats as what i've heard is you can tell by the water the way the water flows what's underneath there a little bit but there's so but much there's so mo- much happening water, so much movement so many trees and like it's insane. So yeah. once you finally get to your spot, what you do with a boat is you drift. So you're going to turn your boat around so you're going upstream. You're going to go upstream to where you want your drift to start. You're going to then put the boat in reverse, but you let your hands off all throttle. You just put it in reverse and you let go. Think of it like idling in reverse. Mm-hmm. And the boat's going to idle in reverse and slowly drift backwards. Then everybody gets up puts their dip net straight down in the water, unlike what Blake said, where his was kind of going out at an angle. Mm-hmm. You now have the ability to go straight down because That's you have nice. a boat beneath you. Yeah. And what you do... How at, long are your poles? Are they... At, we, the shortest one was mine, at like eight feet after I broke it, oh. or nine feet after I broke it. And okay. there, that was pretty much fine. There was yeah. some points where my hand was in the water, but so um, you're going all the way to the bottom. I'm going all the way. So that's that's the difference in technique huh, here. Okay. Is when you're drifting backwards, you because you're not in those eddies. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the sleeping fish that are taking a break. You're getting the active fish that are swimming up the up the river. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you find the bottom of the the river. Sometimes it's rocky. Sometimes it's sandy, silty. Sometimes it's logs, and you lose a pole because it jerks it right out of your hand. Yeah. But no, you're drifting backwards, <clears throat> and uh, when you find the bottom, all you do is you drag the net along the bottom. And you're kind of bouncing off, and that's why the feel is different too. Because it's not every bump, because you got rocks, you got all these things. Hmm. It's more of a jerk, yeah. right? And so once you feel that jerk, you yank a straight up as fast as possible, trapping the fish in the net. You pull them up, and that's where the ugly business starts, right? Because we all are fishing. There's nobody in the boat because we don't have a charter. Um, by the way, you can pay somebody to take you out on their boat and do this exact same thing. It's called AK Expeditions. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more expensive. I don't, I don't know the prices, but you get four hours of fishing with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you pull it up, what you got to do first off is you got to beat them upside the head, which seems very barbaric and, and nobody enjoys it. Listen, um, but you have to do it because otherwise they will flop right out of the boat. People don't even care. They don't. 
fish for fish some reason animals. You're right. They're different for people. Good if you, it. If you took a bear and you, eat, you had to kill it with a billy club, which would take quite a few hits, but <laughs> like. Yeah, I know. My wife feels the same way because she's like, it makes her eyes pop out, you know, not every time, but all this. And I'm like, nobody cares about fish. It doesn't bother. You can show a picture of a dead fish. Again, True. do it with a bear. True. Go ahead, though. Yeah, I'm done with a bear. I'm in trouble for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, now you got it in the boat. It's hopping all around, and you're going to be putting 50, 60, 100 fish in this boat. You can't have 100 flopping 15-pound oh, fisher in this boat. So no. you've got to knock them unconscious. So you knock them unconscious. What we then do is we have a trash can in the middle, uh, one of the big brute dumpsters. Well, let, let's be clear. You're killing them. You're not knocking them unconscious. No, they're still alive at this point. You're what? not unconscious. You kill them by bleeding them, which is what I'm getting to. Oh. So now what you do in order to meet the meat, <laughs> you're, so you're smashing their skulls in. You just hit them. No, you don't need to. You're killing them. I don't think you... So think I'm you. knocking them unconscious. <laughs> and then, because I'm even more barbaric, what you do is you reach into their gills and you have to rip them out. It sounds really bad. It's mm-hmm. it's like uh, it's like grabbing a tuft of grass and trying to like, rip it apart. It's just... It, 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 basically what it does is all the blood starts running out of the gills and then when you fillet the fish a few hours later you're going to have a nice clean prepared fillet if you don't do that if you don't bleed them which is ripping their gills out when you fillet that fish you have a big meaty bloody slab of meat hmm. and it doesn't taste as well so for anybody out there that doesn't bleed their fish give it a try let me know if you think the meat I've tastes different. I've never bled difference. the fish, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. You have, you, but now you can see because you don't. Yeah. When you cut yours open, you have little yeah. pools of blood and stuff, right? Mine looks like when I fillet a fish open and I flop that fillet over, it looks like, other than the jagged edges, <laughs> uh, it looks like uh, a, a Sam's Club or a Costco fillet. Nothing is more impressive than someone who's good at filleting fish, though. Like, I got really good this week. Oh, good. Because, uh, again, we as a group had 200 fish we could catch. Mine was only 45, but I helped them fillet and process their fish. And, yeah. Um, at first, I like sat there. I'm like, shit, I should have YouTubed this before coming out here. It's been a year since I filleted fish. What am I doing? Yeah. But after that second fillet, I was like, I'm good. I yeah. Called. And the key... The key here, and again, I want to make this as easy as possible because even the people I want didn't know this, but um, there's two things that you want to know if you're going to process it yourself. Keep in mind, you're, you're an hour and a half from Valdez. What most people do is they catch their limit, then they drive two hours to Valdez, and they have the professionals fillet them for them. Yeah. And with the charters, you got some flares out where you put in at. But mm-hmm. um, if you're doing this by yourself, And they have you stations you can mm-hmm. use as well, which is yeah. kind of nice. So the things you want to do is first you want a very sharp knife. And it doesn't matter if you have a bench-made fillet knife bring a knife sharpener, those little spines and those bones will dull up your knife. doesn't matter who made manufacture that knife. Crenshaw, mm-hmm. we had, uh, I used a Gerber knife out there. Uh, it doesn't matter because they all got dull. You yeah. have to sharpen them. Almost every fish, you just want to go through and run your knife through that a few times to sharpen it up. It makes mm-hmm. your life a lot easier. The second thing that nobody knows about, for some reason, buy a fish mat. Mm. They're little rubber mats that you cut on. Think of it like a cutting board, but they keep your slippery fish from sliding all oh. over the place. And so, so we're sitting there, and we created our fillet fillet station. And I'm using a fillet mat, and my buddy Zeb is right next to me, and he's just doing it on the you know Rubbermaid table. Yeah, and his fish are sliding all over the place. They are like covered in snot. It is snot. It is fish oil. Like it's yeah, they're like they're sliding up the water, man. You got blood. You got fish oil. You got everything on you. So this fish mat just makes it so that when you're using a super long, sharp filleting knife that's nine to twelve inches long, Mm -hmm. you're not going to cut a finger off in the process. Um, And so they're great. So the combo of knife and mat together you're going to spend 100 bucks, and um, filleting, just having somebody process your fish is going to cost way more than that. And so, I'm trying to remember how much it was a fish. I want to say it's probably like $4 a fish. No, 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 no. It's, uh, no, that'd be way too much. 
I don't know. I, I think I gave them like, vacuum sealing them as well, or are they just filleting them and putting them back just, in the trash bag? They just fillet. Yeah, oh. they're just filleting. We did that. It cost yeah. free. Free 50 for me. Free for you. Free yeah. 50. It was, I don't know. I think it was like 200 bucks for me to do 65 fish around that. That's lazy. That's like people that take their <laughs> moose down we, to Delta yes. Power Meats to have it processed. So we, the plan was actually to haul all the stuff back. We literally didn't have enough coolers and stuff to get it back because I wanted to take all the um, not meat I stuff. would love to, too, to make stocks and feed them to my dog and exactly. stuff. Like that, exactly. but yeah. but no. The reason we're filleting it is 200 fish. It's a lot. The average fish is 15 to 25 pounds. Multiply that, and you're carrying that out. Plus, yeah. you're you know, keep on that's going with a boat. We found a little spot on the side to camp. By the way, there's a native group that owns that land there, mm-hmm. and they have a little QR code that you can pay them. It's basically like a little permit you buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so support the the native uh, uh, corporations out there that own that land. Uh, I want to say it was like 25 bucks. I really don't remember. Mm-hmm. But um, for camping for the entire weekend is is pretty. Yeah. So we went out there. We had a fire. We had a six-man tent for the four of us. Um, we had a little cook stove grill. We had a fire pit. Like we 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 were kind of camping in luxury. Yeah. Boat parked right next to our uh, tent setup. Yeah. And we literally woke up, could eat breakfast, make pancakes, hop on the boat, fish for a couple hours, come in for a sandwich and a beer, go back out, fish some more. Like it's just a very chill, calm, entertaining time out there uh there were men out there there were women out there um the youngest person i saw out there was probably 17 mm-hmm. and i would be cautious going any younger than that i mean you want to make sure your your child is a strong swimmer knows their way around the outdoors and and, and just can pay attention to safety stuff so don't don't bring your 10 year old out there uh, i feel like it's way too dangerous yeah so the last thing is um packaging and storing the meat yes. is pretty much the same as any other game meat i would assume um i do it different than you yeah we do um you vacuum seal i i actually have a vacuum sealer i had no idea i looked up at my pantry and i was like, oh, in there we have a vacuum sealer she's like oh yeah we got we that from my dad sealer. or something yeah i was like oh well um so i do uh saran wrap is that just a brand name what are they plastic yeah, wrap. plastic wrap i do plastic wrap and uh butcher paper and i really like it and that's what i do with meat right that's what i'm gonna do with my caribou and my moose steaks but for mm-hmm. fish because of smell and um, I don't want freezer burn because of the moisture content. You mm-hmm. know, fish meat is a lot wetter than, than beef meat. I do vacuum seal. So what I what I tend to do, and, and there's always like what I did this yeah. past week and what I would love to do if I had an <laughs> infinite time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what we did is um, we caught them, we filleted them on the side of the beach. Uh-huh. We rinsed them back in the Copper River. <laughs> Sandy. Yeah, sandy. Um, <laughs> then I come home, you rinse them, and you vacuum seal them. That's what we did. Now, mm-hmm. ideally what you'll do is um, when you get home, you, you let them air out for about an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Right? Now your garage smells like fish. Um, then you rinse them off in a brine. And this is a skip that most people said. You, you, you create an actual brine. This is a skip that most people step, This said. is a skip that most people step. <laughs> this is a that. step that most people skip. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so what you do is you, you basically fill up a, a cooler with a brine, and then you dip and wash them in the brine. Salt, salt brine? Salt brine. Okay. Yep. Mm. And then um, you put it and you vacuum seal it that way. Huh. That way uh, you keep that moisture in there, and you're you're reducing the freeze point of the fish, so you're not going to get as much freezer burn. So I don't know if I um, made a lot more work for myself. I am like a newbie in pretty much everything in life, but uh, except real estate, I guess. But the... We made a station. We did the same thing. We brought fillets back. I made a station with my kids and my wife, and it was actually a lot of fun. Again, maybe too much work, but basically we rinsed the fish because they they get a little slime on them after they sit for a little bit. We rinsed them, 
Um, we padded them dry with paper towels. We used like two rolls of paper towels, yeah. which again, not that expensive. And then, like I said, I used the, the plastic. We had like a plastic craft station and a butcher paper station and someone with a permanent marker saying that putting the date on it. So it was a lot of fun. The kids loved it. It spent, you know, a few hours doing that. Um, so that was my way of doing it. I don't know that again, it might've been like way overkill. Not that you have to do it that way or something, but, um, I have had my fish for over a year now. Yeah. Right at a year. And they're perfectly fine. That's why I didn't go this year. If I didn't you say. still have room. Yeah. I have, you know, I have probably a quarter of the fish. And I ate a lot of salmon for sure, but I gave a lot of it away. And what happens, though, is if you have a really good run year like we did last year, uh, everybody's got salmon. So it's hard to even give it away, which, you know, again, I, I like There's having There's good meat. years and bad years. There's years where I'm literally uh, knocking on doors begging for fish. Yeah. Uh, which was probably last year because I didn't get to go last year. Yeah. And then uh, I took some of yours. Mm -hmm. And then this year, uh, I don't have any more freezer space. I got caribou coming up in 25 days. Yeah. And I don't have room for a caribou in my freezer. So, um well, I, hope, I might have to go buy one. I hope you have a caribou story. This wouldn't be your first, but um, when that happens, and then my my goal, I've skipped all everything, and we have two weeks of moose season. Yeah. And as long as it takes me, I'm I'm pretty much in the mindset like I'll drive back and do some work in the mornings or, or whatever time is not moose hunting time. No. <laughs> like, the forbidden question: You can't ask here. people where they're going to go hunting, but uh, what highway are you going to be doing your moose? So hunting I'm off looking of? at going off the Steese up a little trail there. Um, so, so I've never east of Fairbanks. Yeah, I've never killed a moose. Um, I've never even gone on a moose hunt before, and that's why it is a little bit weird. So it's like I've got to kind of find these places on my own. I do have a buddy. Oh, by the way, I was talking you to got him. Got a few buddies. I got a few buddies. I always got buddies. He's like, hey, I go really far out now. So he was willing to tell me like his old spots. He's like, and, but they're busier areas where yeah. I'm going. He's like, so, you know, some tips and tricks there. But he has, a, I was going to say four wheel. He actually has six wheelers. He's six wheels in 60 miles. Yeah, that's too much work. 60 miles. Well, he just told me yesterday, they, the Fed, it was federal land. The feds just decided to non-motorize the whole area. And so he's like, I got to go find a new spot, man. It's like, that really sucks. That does suck. Because when they had weight limits, and he's like, I'm cool with that. It kept the side-by-sides and everything out. Um, and and width, usually it's a width, uh, I forget how wide yeah. it is. Um, but anyways, and people were just ignoring or something, I guess. So now, yeah. I was like, you're not walking 60 miles in to get your moves? He's like, no chance. So that's a long four-wheeler ride, man. That's, that is that's a all, long... He's going all the way out there. It's got to be a whole day. I'm just, like, imagining it takes a whole tank to get out there and a whole tank to get back. So you don't have, like, you have to carry quite a bit of fuel with you yeah. just to be able to maneuver out there so he and is, get to your moose. So he has two six-wheelers, and, they, you know, the six-wheelers have those big, like, mm -hmm. back ends. Um, Which so, is the whole benefit of the six-wheeler. Yeah, so I'm imagining, yeah, he's got a few tanks of fuel in there. I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, that you can't – I guess you could make it out there with one tank, but goodness. Yeah, and then he's got to process it. And I was talking to him about, like, looking at four-wheelers last year when I was buying one. And he's like, you know, for me, I like, I need it because I can't take – a quarter at a time. He's like, I have to get basically the whole moose because in one of where go. he hunts and how he does it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same thing I told you why I went with my Canon 1000 instead of my uh, old Grizzly 650 mm -hmm. is I just needed more for what I was doing and, and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, when you get in the tools uh, and, and the stuff that we used to hunt, like that's, or fish, uh, so much pre like personal preference and where you're going and what, you know, yeah. if I was hunting a moose, you know, down in Anchorage, it would look totally different than what we're doing up here in Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. I would love to just uh, come across one on the road when in season, but. Well, uh, <laughs> they're in August. They got two classes. You should come do the archery class with me. 
Oh yeah. And then uh, we can do then it right. We can do it right here in Fairbanks. Yeah. Go go on Kramer's Field and just pull one out right there. Yeah, people really don't like that. But it's hilarious though when you see a guy processing a moose in a parking lot next to fish and game. Yeah, there's. It's. Like, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. All right. So my actual is, thoughts for my politically correct podcast. I thoughts. want the actual thoughts okay. because uh, explicit content coming up. It is totally legal to bow hunt in Fairbanks. Yes. What the situation that came up that you know people would be like, all right, what's the issue here? So I'll give you like a situation okay. where there's two sides. There's a moose that everyone knows that's in town. They maybe some people have named them and all this. Still a wild animal, but they're like, hey, that's old Freddy Bob or whatever. Right. A guy goes in season totally legally takes that with a bow. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some hunters that are like, hey, that's totally fine. The other side of the coin is that gives hunters a bad optic, and we should look at preserving how people see hunters so we don't, because we're always concerned about losing rights because it's kind of a constant battle with mm-hmm. PETA people. Um, or not just PETA, but you know what I'm saying. So where just do you fall? Do you think that people should avoid doing that stuff just be, so it can stay out of the <sighs> eye of the public, or do you think it's something that's like, no, we should... Go for it. I apologize because I am not intending to offend anybody. But the idiots in this world that think that I, as a hunter who is dispatching an animal within seconds, mm-hmm. has lived an amazing life free and wild, mm-hmm. but yet can go home and eat a cheeseburger where a cow has been tortured its entire existence. Mm-hmm should really look in the mirror before throwing any criticism my way. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I hunt, it's not for a trophy on my wall. Look around my house, look around my office. I have a few trophies, but that's because I'm using every part of the animal. Mm-hmm. What you really need to check out is the three freezers I have in my house that we often constantly feed my family off of. Yeah, And so it's, it's, it's the reason why I'm hunting. So if that hunter is dispatching old Freddie Bob, as you said, to get the rack off of it. Absolutely agree with the conservative, uh, the uh, conservation people that are saying, hey, we need, to, we need to be careful with the way we do things. And I 100% agree because nobody should be hunting just for the trophy. That being said, the trophy is a part of the animal. Don't leave it behind, don't waste it. You know, mm-hmm. Be proud of what you've done, it's a story. Um, but you should be eating that meat. If you're not gonna eat the animal you're killing, don't kill it. Yeah. Um, That's, so I, I, I got a black bear. I, I've eaten half that black bear now. Yeah. I've gotten a goat. We'd make curry with that goat. Yeah. Same thing with this moose. But what I want to say is, is it doesn't matter where the animal's killed as long as it's killed legally, mm-hmm. right? So you're not poaching the animal. You're you're harvesting it. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is, if, if it was Joey Bob or Billy Bob or whatever you called that moose, yeah. Um, I know where that moose has lived. I know what that moose has eaten. I know what it's contaminated with. I know what it's been involved in. And generally, I would contribute my affection for game meat why I'm generally healthier than the average person. And that's because I'm eating food that is sourced locally. If you want farm to table, but you're against hunting, you're a fucking hypocrite. (laughs) And you need to go and just shove... I'm going to leave it there. Kale somewhere. So sure, um, kale up your ass. I yeah, so a, a few points oh, I want to make delicious. that I, I think you would agree with me, but I want to make some clarifications. Hunting is, uh, legal hunting is 100% uh, 
uh, conservation. It is. So conservation. They are regulating based off of population, especially 40, 40 mile herd. Yeah. Prime example. If it's under hunted, their extinction rate is doubled. If they're over hunted, their reproduction rate is doubled. Mm. Now, I'm not a fan of over hunting because no. you're, you're doing damage to the population, but um, the pressure that natural animals feel based off of wolves, bears, and humans mm-hmm. is what drives their reproductive need, mm-hmm. right? And so by fishing game doing their job, by determining how many we can harvest, mm-hmm. and by us meeting that quota, we're actually helping them thrive. And the example of that is a northern herd, which is hunted a lot less. Mm-hmm. And it's significantly smaller, it's significantly more emaciated, and it's got more disease than the 40-mile herd, which is one of the healthier herds. Yeah. Even though some years you'll go out there and you'll find a bunch of wasted animals out there. And by the way, that's, that, that's what my passion really is, is pre- preventing the waste that some hunters do. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was going to be my next point is about yeah, the, the trophy hunting. So there are, I think you could make very good arguments to killing something and not doing anything with the meat. So wolves, predators are usually the big one. Wolves. Wolves are a big one. Uh, Correct. Bears. Brown bears. Bears. Um, even though, so you see these big trophy hunts in like Africa, and those are the ones that really get people up in arms. They kill this big, beautiful giraffe. Like that giraffe was killing all the young bulls. Yeah. And that giraffe was no longer able to reproduce. So it was actually hurting the herd. So th- I, I hope they use the meat. I think they did. They even do. They and that's the thing. I've looked into South African hunts and stuff like that. And these yeah. safaris, the, the thing that we as modern Americans don't realize is one we can't bring that meat back i would love to bring back that meat yeah my maybe you have your so stick cool. of it or something but they will not allow you because that's usda your beef is with the u.s government and importing foreign meats yeah okay second problem there is or, or benefit really is when you do those hunts your money that you spend which isn't that expensive it's like four or five thousand mm-hmm. dollars but your four or five thousand dollars is feeding an entire village as far as income goes for like a season and they give them the meat and they get the meat which yeah. feeds their village for the like entire literally. yeah summer you know so there is a lot of benefits there and then you get the trophy and you know you feel like hey unlike me giving my money to unicef and the clinton stealing it all now I actually gave my money to a specific village and I'm helping yeah. people. So I can even put a positive spin on those game hunts where it is nothing but trophy. Yeah. And you're right. Those safaris are not you going into a national park and killing innocent animals. As a safari trip It is a by. farm. <laughs> you're, you're driving around on a farm. It's no different than, than hunting mule deer in Texas. Um, they put up fences around these preserves. They, they have a quota on how many you can hunt. And the yeah. price of what you want to kill changes based off of the number available and the health of the herd. So they have their own conservation going on. Yeah. We'll put it this way. People have been hunting in Africa for hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, let's say 1895, people were taking their three-month vacations to go hunting over there, mm-hmm. right? And with transportation, it's become more prevalent. And there's still a healthy population of everything from rhinos to giraffes to alligators. Well, now, a, here's what I'll tell you. Go ahead. Try to leave the big game animals alone. Don't kill an elephant, a giraffe, or a rhinoceros. But there's plenty of kudu, mm-hmm. deer-like gazelles, and all those animals that, that, that reproduce on such a quick rate that it, you can easily harvest a few of them, get that experience, whereas that elephant's 30 years old. That's yeah. where I'm a little bit against it. Like, I don't go and hunt horses because they live to be 45 years old and you know I'm not going to eat that meat. And no, the reason you don't hunt horses is because Chick-fil-A. I have no idea why. 
that seriously, other pla- like horse meat is totally fine. Everywhere else we eat it, Mongolia. Yeah, it. yeah, it's it's so it's totally We just fine. went from a diplomatic episode to a hunting ethics course. Just, wow, yeah. man, this no, these are just totally floor. totally my opinions on these hunting things. season is in three weeks. We're just getting excited. Yeah, but it's so it's re- all hunting is a renewable resource that you have to be careful of. If you're again, if you're over hunting, it's not going to be a renewable forever because you're run out and you're not going to have anything. Sorry, lab grown meats are now legal, guys. Oh, so as so you go to the grocery cool. store and I'm eating my uh, ethically harvested moose, you can eat. <laughs> Uh, Bill Gates's lab-grown steak, and when you grow a third neck, I will uh, be laughing at you. (laughs) Uh, Do you see Elon Musk's quote, uh, tweet? Gosh, this has been probably a year or two ago, but he shows a picture of Bill Gates next to the pregnant man emoji. And uh, and he says, if you ever want to lose a boner. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, this guy (laughs) owns Twitter now (laughs) and is going to space. Anyway, freedom of speech. uh, Words don't hurt. It's how you receive the words. My last thing, last thing I want to say, uh, because I could go on forever. Last, last word is I just got sent a video of a caribou. um, And the caption was, I guess we know who won. And I was like, what is going on? I saw something stuck in its antlers. Did you see this? It was another caribou. It was the head of the, yeah, it's their uh, antlers were locked together and the skull it was just the skull was left. Because the rest of the other body rotted off. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, what do you think was a better death? The arrow? That's what I'm saying. The, like, I, so if, if you think <laughs> I'm uh, cruel less painful, I should say, for yeah. shooting an animal at 300 yards with one bullet and killing it instantaneously, I will take that. But before you throw that label on me, I want you to go to Instagram. <laughs> I want you to type in nature is metal. Yeah. Like, like heavy metal. They're unbelievable. Type in nature is metal and watch any 13 videos on that page. Then come back and say, am I cruel? Yeah. Because the way animal, most animals die by getting eaten alive. Yeah. They don't kill, like animals don't kill each other. Mm-hmm. Animals eat each other. Yeah. And when you see a rabbit squealing for its life as a bear is eating its back half. Yeah, literally. Okay, my 300 wind mag is very, <laughs> very great for that animal's end of life. So yeah. That's what we're going to end the podcast okay. on. I hope we didn't Dip lose all baby. of our clients. Hey, our goal here is to turn all of you off and have you no longer tune in. Uh, but if you're like me and Blake and you enjoy just getting in touch with nature, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you have a great weekend. All right. See you next time. Bye. Uh. Yeah.